You're listening to the Revelation Podcast from Open Bible Baptist Church. To learn more about Open Bible and to find our service times, especially if you're in southwestern Ontario, visit openbible.ca. In today's episode, Dr. Neil Sawatsky starts a series in the book of Revelation with an overview of the book and an idea of what to expect in this series. And now here is Dr. Neil Sawatsky. I want us to, very, very first thing that I want us to do this evening is I want us to get used to the title of the book. Uh, if, uh, if, you look at, if you look at chapter 1 and verse number 1, uh, how does your verse read in the very beginning? The first part of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? Okay, the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many of you ever heard it pronounced the revelations? Yes, you number and say yes. Okay, that's number one. That's what we'd like to settle right off the get-go is we want to clarify that this book is not the revelations. This is the revelation, okay? It is exposing Jesus Christ to us. So it's, it's not so complicated when you first of all get the title right, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want us to look at the biblical events from my perspective, and I know that the church here holds to this as well, but whether you do or not, I do not know if you're visiting tonight. But I just want us to look at the very, very simple chart that uh, I have uh, laid out for you here. We have the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, following his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we have that which is known as the church age. Jesus had said that I will build my church. So for 2,000 years now, approximately, there has been this chapter in the history of the world that is a parenthesis in the Bible. Uh, It doesn't have a prophetic sense to it. So that in this time period, the Lord is building the church, which is the bride of Christ. And that is uh, what has been happening ever since he went back to heaven, sent his apostles out to do the work of evangelism and church planting, witnessing to the truth of the gospel. And so ever since then, the church has been doing the same thing with some digressions, of course, but that's what's been happening. One of these days, the church age will come to an end with a very sudden conclusion. And that conclusion is when the Lord makes a trumpet sound from the air, not on the earth, but from the air, and he comes and he takes Christians home. Every person born in the New Testament era died disintegrated, gone to the present living ones, everyone will be raised in an instant in the twinkling of an eye at that last trump. So every person, even though completely disintegrated in the ground or in the waters or in the fires, wherever the case may be, he's able to take of that material and put it back together so that everybody will have a resurrected body. That's going to happen in an instant. Only God can do that. 
But what happens there, and I just want you to get this, and I think this is so important for us to understand so much of the prophetic doctrine, and that is that, that the church age comes to an end. It's a unique and a distinct message, a message that was not there in the Old Testament, a message that will not be there following the church age. It is a unique message. That message, that era, that responsibility comes to an end with that which we call the rapture. Now, I'm going to show you a picture in just a moment, but I want us to just look at the idea of the rapture just for a moment. It's, it's kind of a dying doctrine. Uh, in fact, we're being told that if we preach the doctrine of the rapture, we're heretics, and uh, so that there is obviously a real strong onslaught against this teaching. It's a part of what we call the dispensational doctrine of the Word of God. The, uh, the, uh, the Reformed doctrine had so prevailed that down through the ages of the New Testament era, doctrine and prophecy was not really understood because the Reformed system does not really major on it. And so when the doctrine of the rapture was discovered in the scriptures, people say, well, this is Darby's invention. Well, Darby was definitely one who really popularizes. Schofield was one who really popularized it. And then there were others like Schaefer, Walbert, and Pentecost, and Honer, and you could just start naming all kinds of names. Thankfully, today, we still have some very prominent individual who still can lay out the doctrines of the rapture. Jimmy D. Young is one of them, Reynolds Showers. Barry gave me a magazine today that, uh, that shows that these two men have put together a DVD on the rapture. So I am ordering it this week, and hopefully we'll be able to show that if it's something that, uh, that will work well here. And uh, so we'll just see how that goes. But, but the teaching of the rapture is not off the chart. It's not gone. It's still there. And there are many churches that still maintain it, but there are many churches that do not. And so we, we actually have people today that are, that are fighting this. And, and there are people uh, like Hank Hanegraaff, whom I mentioned this morning as one who has gone and joined the iconic Eastern Orthodox system. Uh, he was one of the ones that kept eroding away at the doctrine of the rapture and has got many, many people convinced that there is no such thing as rapture, no such thing as tribulation, but that everything goes on, things do get bad and so on, but then suddenly the Lord appears. Well, that's the premillennial, historic premillennial position, but, but the rapture is overlooked. And then, of course, you've got your people that are actually all millennial who don't believe that there is any such thing as a millennium either. So I don't want to confuse you with all those things tonight. But as soon as the rapture has taken place, there is a seven-year period that happens in the earth. The, 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 that, and that's what we find in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. All right, chapters 1 through 3 is the church age. Chapters 4 through 19 is the tribulation period. So the bulk of the book of the Revelation shows us what will happen after the rapture. Uh, what will happen on earth following the greatest event of all time when we go to be with the Lord. So that there are all these chapters that unfold. And I'm going to show you tonight some pictures that will help us to understand it. 
And when the seven-year period of tribulation is finished, we have the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ and the rapture are not the same thing. But it's two stages. He comes in the air to take Christians home. He comes seven years later to establish his kingdom on earth when he will reign for 1,000 years. We would not know the 1,000 years with the exception that it is stated so in the book of the Revelation. There's no other book in the Bible that talks about a 1,000-year reign. So if people discount the book of the Revelation, they will not believe in the 1,000-year reign. And this is where you get your amillennial hodgepodge stuff that goes on out there because they discount the book of the Revelation or they spiritualize it. And because they spiritualize it, they, they come up with nothing. Uh, in fact, in politics today, they call this a nothing burger. So we, uh, uh, and, 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 and by the way, I, that's the way I look at our millennialism. It's, it's a nothing burger. It's offering you absolutely nothing at all. Uh, so the second coming, chapters 20 through 22, is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and he rules and reigns for 1,000 years. Satan has been bound and Christ is working with the free world for that period of time. We'll talk about it much, much later. And then we have the introduction to the eternal situation, the eternal event that, that goes on forever and forever. So this is your most simple outlay of what the future holds. This is a magazine that I mentioned Barry had shown to me today. It's just the latest version of the uh, Israel My Glory. This is a magazine put out by the Friends of Israel. And I don't presently receive it, and I don't know why. I think maybe I didn't pay my, my subscription. But, uh, but I think that I probably let it lapse or something like that. But I used to get Israel My Glory for many years, and whenever I get that magazine, I would read the cover and then I would read the inside of the cover, and then I would read the contents, and then I would read everything inside, and then I would read Svi's thing at the very end there about his testimony of witnessing to Jewish people, and then I'd look at the back cover to see what they were advertising. So what am I saying? It's a magazine that has great value, to, in my mind. And uh, I would certainly love for you to get this for my glory. In fact, we'll probably get it ready for you to order it so that you can... So you can order it if you like to get it, and we'd like to make it available to you. It's, it's one of the worthwhile ministries going today as far as the prophecy element is concerned. And in this particular issue, interestingly enough, that I get this magazine this morning, after all this time we've been announcing that we're going to be going to the book of the Revelation, and get this magazine that says, whatever happened to the rapture? All right, just kind of a diminishing idea. So they are using an entire magazine this time to bolster the teaching of the rapture. Some phenomenal stuff. David Levy is one of the writers. I know David very well. He is a true blue Jew. That's what I call him. Uh, he comes from Chicago. And well, how more Jew can you be than either New York or Chicago? And, uh, he, and I call him True Blue because his name is David. So I have named after King David. His Levy, that is after the tribe of Levites. So you don't get any more Jew than that. He's one of the writers in there, and David Levy talks about the various points about the, the rapture, and he's always very good in laying it out in detail. So you'd find that to be rather interesting. So 
just a little commercial there for the Friends of Israel's magazine, and just to let you know that this is a pertinent question. It is something that people are asking today, and scholars are writing about it. Uh, some really eminent scholars, and there Bruce Scott is one of them that writes in there. The question tonight is, what can we expect? And uh, I've used this term that theologians like to use, and it's the term called zeitgeist. It is the, the spirit of the age. What is the spirit of the age? What is, what is taking place as far as how people are thinking out there in the world today? What are the philosophies that are prevailing? And so I just want us to look a little bit about what we can expect what does the book of the Revelation lay out for us? Uh, what, what is ahead in the very near future? Well, we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. This is what we can expect now. This is what we can expect maybe today. We can expect maybe tomorrow. We can expect it sometime soon. We believe. We don't know, but we do believe. When John said, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. So after what? After the seven churches were explained. These seven churches existed during the time of John's life when he wrote the book of the Revelation. They were all established, and every one of them had a unique characteristic. They do represent the churches throughout the ages. And uh, they, uh, they could be, Philadelphia could represent a church here and there. It could be that Sardis might. It could be that uh, Pergamos might. It could be that uh, Ephesians might. It could be that Laodicea might. But they all represent churches at various ages and various stages. So you don't have Ephesus representing the first century or two, Sardis representing the next century or two, and so on. That's not how it works. It's, it's the representative of the New Testament era. The Laodicean age is the real spirit of the age. It's the real zeitgeist. And that is a church of carelessness, a church of indifference. And uh, it's got a lot of motion, a lot of activity when it comes down to actual doctrinal truth. So when the church age is finished, when it's all done with, this is where John said, after this, after the church age, after the time that Christ was building his church, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So there is a definite hereafter. When the church age is done, there is still something happening. Let me insert here, not to try to confuse you, but let me insert to you the doctrine of the preterist. The doctrine of the preterist, very, very simply explained, says that this generation was fulfilled in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. Christ came back. All the prophecies of scripture were fulfilled. Thereafter, there are no prophecies. So prophecy is not futuristic. That's the preterist position. So when you hear someone say, I don't believe in prophecy, he may somehow have been linked to preterism or purely not knowing. That could be the case as well. But the fact is that there are theological concepts out there that teach that there is no future prophecy. Revelation 4 verse 1 says, after this, you look into heaven. 
and I will show you things that shall be. So after the church age, there is something. Okay, did we get that? After the church age, there is something. So prophecy is future. There is definitely something more to come. That's biblical. That is not any one person's position. That is what the Bible says. Do we see that in Revelation 4.1? It's very clearly stated for us. I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Well, we notice as we will see the book of the Revelation unfold, we will see the first seal, which will be the white horse rider holding a bow and wearing a crown in chapter 6, undoubtedly the Antichrist. We have the red horse rider that takes peace from the earth. What peace? We just saw on the screen tonight that there is a peace that is being signed, an agreement of world peace. Uh, whether it's this one or another one, the fact is this is really, really exciting. To me, it's just, it's just revelational. Uh, so, but what happens is that the red horse rider comes in and he destroys every concept of peace. We have in the third seal, we have the black horse. He holds scales in his hand and he brings famine into the world. We'll say a lot more about that when we come to chapter 6. We have the pale, the sickly green horse rider named Death and Hell or Hades. And he represents death. When you read through the book of the Revelation, it's hard to keep up with the math about the quarter and the third and these ones that lose their lives. What the book of the Revelation teaches us, that the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, what we can expect is that there is coming a philosophy of death. We have now a philosophy of life. We have now, we're talking about Christ who is the life, the Christ who gives us life. We want to live because of Christ and we enjoy life because of Christ. But the day is coming when the world will have a philosophy of death, kill and destroy. That's coming. Pale horse rider represents that very spirit. We have the souls that are slain for their faith in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. There will be a huge amount of martyrdom. We don't know who these uh, Christians are who are being martyred in these eastern countries today, but there is such horrendous activity that is happening for people who espouse the Christian faith, whether they're truly Christian or not, only God knows that. But, but they name the name of Christ, and for this, many of them are being beheaded. Many of them are uh, horrendously treated in a horrendous way. Many of them are hurt so badly before they're actually put to death. They, they put them into cages and they burn them. They, they will take and they'll put them onto crosses and crucify them. They'll take them to the, to the water side and they will behead them. This is happening 2018. This is happening on a regular basis out there. There's, there's a horrendous amount of death that is happening now before this horrendous time comes, before the tribulation period begins. So it's not hard to see that when the restrainer, the church is removed, the Holy Spirit is removed, that the natural flow of what man can do will happen and will unfold. Lots of martyrdom is coming. 
There will be cosmic disturbances. There will be all kinds of uh, earthquakes. There will be uh, darkness prevailing. The moon will look like blood. In fact, if you look at the end of January, if the skies are clearer than they are tonight, and they'll need to be clearer because tonight you wouldn't see any moon. Right now you just see a sliver of it. And I was kind of watching it yesterday as I was driving home, and I noticed that, that there was this, this, this sliver, but it's already, it's already leaning towards the supermoon. And so that supermoon is coming the end of January, and it'll be called a blood moon. Well, John Hagee went to bat with this and made himself a ton of money by writing a book on the blue moons and the blood moons and all that. And so he, uh, he, he you know, lined his pockets pretty good with that because a lot of people bought it. I had a lady in Kitchener met me in a store one time and she just came panicking. She said, have you read the blue moon? Have you read the blood moon? I said, no, I haven't. She said, oh, she ran out to her car. She gave me a book and it's still in the trunk of my car. So I forgot to read it. But, uh, but it's, 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 it's all about these blood moons. Well, the truth is that there is already, has been for some time, blood moons appearing. And uh, the uh, secular scientists call it supermoon, but they will once in a while insert the term blood moon. So when you see that at the end of January, it'll be a giant ball in the sky and it'll look red like fire. And that's why it's called the blood moon. Uh, is it significant? I don't think today, but in the tribulation time, it will be very significant, and it's going to be a regular occurrence. The stars will fall from heaven, and the sky will recede as a scroll. I'm going to try to present to you the effects of a nuclear attack when that happens, and it's, it's grotesque, it's scary. But, but this is being described in Revelation chapter 6. We have the, uh, the seventh seal, which is an unleashing of the trumpets. There's silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. So what we got is trumpet number one. We have the third part of all trees and grass that will be burned up, Revelation chapter 8. We have in the second trumpet, we have the third part of the seas that become blood. The third part of all sea creatures will die and the third part of ships will be destroyed. And we have the third trumpet that sounds and there'll be the fresh water supply that will become bitter, chapter eight. We have in chapter eight, again, the third of the sun, the moon and the stars will be darkened. And then in chapter uh, eight, nine, we have a very interesting description of the bottomless pit that is opened up and coming out of that bottomless pit, there'll be smoke that will fill the air and it'll be a locust type of a creature that will infest the earth. And we're told that the locusts will torment men for five months. So it's a brief period of time, but won't be brief if you're under the torment of these locust-like creatures that will come. In uh, the chapter nine, we have the four demons that are bound in the Euphrates will be freed. Now it is believed by theologians who study demonology and understand this, that these four demons were the extreme, the most extremely malicious and vindictive and angry demons, and therefore God bound them in the bottom of the Euphrates for the time to be unleashed when his fury would be unleashed upon the world. And so these will be set free to do their dirty work. And so the day is coming when there will be demonic attacks that are going to happen in the world. You and I have not seen any demonic attacks. If you've ever seen somebody that's, that's actually demon-possessed and you see them turn loose 
with their possession and that, it gets scary. I've seen it. And it's, 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 it's violent. And it's, it's something you don't just see as a natural turn of events and people's anger. It's, it's, it's different. It is, it is very scary. And when you see these four demons released out of the bottom of the Euphrates River, this is going to bring about some really, really horrendous things in the time of the tribulation. And then we have the seventh trumpet, and that seventh trumpet basically unleashes the, uh, the, the vials, the bowls that will come at the uh, time of the tribulation. All nations now belong to God and Messiah. This trumpet unleashes the seven bowls, chapter 11. They're going to be loathsome sores appear on all who have the mark of the beast. Uh, I think that there will be a general feeling of Job. And uh, you know that he was a man who was under tremendous duress for a long period of time as Satan was allowed to let him have sores. Somehow the devil likes to give you sores. That's, that's for some reason or other because he knows it brings great discomfort. He believed that Job, if he had these boils in his body, that he would curse God. You can only stand so much pain before you leash it, before you lash out. And, uh, and certainly uh, this is something that he's going to do. These, the sores are going to be all over the bodies of those who have received the mark of the beast. We're going to talk about the mark of the beast a fair bit, actually. Then we have the second bowl, and that is when the rest of the seas turn to blood and all life in the oceans die. The day is coming. You're not going to catch a tuna. You're not going to catch a salmon. You're not going to catch anything in the ocean waters because there won't be any. They're going to be dead. They're going to dry up. Both Ezekiel talks about it. The book of the Revelation talks about it. That day is coming and not a very nice day. Then we have the third bowl where the rest of fresh water turns to blood. The rivers and every running stream and all of that turns to blood red, kind of a uh, who knows whether it's a chemical infested type of water. It's going to be a horrendous thing. You have the fourth bowl, and this is Al Gore special. Uh, this is where you have global warming. When, when, when Al Gore, first of all, came out with the global warming concept, the, uh, what did he call it, an inconvenient truth. Uh, I preached a message on that immediately after he came out with that, went to Revelation chapter 16 and said, Al Gore is right. He just got his timing wrong. But he's right as far as there is coming a day when, when this world will encounter such heat that it has never had before, ever. And guess what? That's not because you didn't put your garbage out properly. And that's not because your muffler wasn't working just right in your car. That's not because your emission system was malfunctioning. That's not because you ran your lawnmower too much. What will happen is that God will bring a particular judgment that's going to give them a foretaste of what hell is going to be like. And that's what Revelation chapter 16, I don't want to give all my thunder away for those messages coming. But then we have the painful darkness that engulfs the beast throne in chapter 16, and that's the fifth bowl. Then the sixth bowl shows the Euphrates River drying up, and this sets the stage for the armies of the east, which would undoubtedly be, if Korea still exists, depending on whether those little or big buttons are pushed, and uh, if the Chinese will get involved, which most likely will be it, and you've got these massive, horrendous armies from the east, and they are trained, they spend almost all of their GDP, they spend almost all of their money on training their military so that they can fight, and they're footmen. They march on the ground and uh, they will march on horses. And what you'll have is 
you'll have passage into the uh, land of Israel through the Euphrates River where they're not going to have the problem of what to do about bridges and what to do about the water because God is going to dry up the water in the Euphrates so that these armies can move. God's got his finger in this whole thing that is happening in the unfolding of the sixth bowl. And then you have the seventh bowl, which gives us the worldwide earthquakes. And with those earthquakes and with the nuclear activity that will happen, this world is going to experience hailstones between 100 and 200 pound hailstones they're going to be coming out of the sky and do far more damage than what these baseball-sized hailstones have done in recent days gone by. So these are things that we can look to to see what is going to happen. And I've not given you the description about the bride and the city of Jerusalem and all of that. I'll give that to you as time goes on, but we're going to stop there with the pictures for tonight. And I just want you to look at the things that we can expect in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I'm just going to run through a whole lot of things. So if you're taking notes, uh, you might want to write really fast. So first of all, we see the international conditions preceding the return of Christ. First of all, we have wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, verse number 6. Then you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not soon troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So the Lord said that this world is going to be characterized by, by the rumors of war. There's going to be the threat of war. Uh, what have you heard in the last year since the uh, Republicans took office in the U.S.? You've, you've heard the saber rattling between North Korea and the United States of America. You, you've heard about, we're going to blow you off the planet. And we heard from the other side, we're going to blow back and blow you off the planet and so on. And by the way, folks, when we look at the description of a nuclear attack, you will say, no, we don't want that. Sometimes you sit back and say, I wonder what it would be like if the U.S. took and, and, and blew off the North Korea section. Uh, not going to be pretty. It, it's, it's horrendous. We don't wish it on them. We don't want that to happen. We don't want it to happen in New York. We don't want it to happen in Toronto. We don't want it to happen in any place because these nuclear bombs, they are big. They are powerful, something that we just, we just can't imagine. Uh, when when the, that alarm sounded in Hawaii last week, uh, this was scary because the uh, notices came just like my phone just rang now and a notice would appear and said there's a missile incoming this is not a false alarm make sure that you take cover and so the people from Hawaii they scurried all over the place including putting their children into manholes and climbing in there with the hope that they would have some protection but I have news for these people which they know very well and that is that the manhole could not protect them if it was a nuclear bomb uh, they, they could go down there, but that nuclear bomb would suck them right out of there in an instant. There is no protection for a nuclear bomb if, if you are within its range. Now, if you're outside of its range, you can find protection from the radioactivity in caves and in shelters and that, but there's no protection from the bomb itself. It is that big. It is that dangerous. It is that powerful. So these are the things that we hear. Every day, if you, I'm a news buff, so I listen to the news all the time, and, and I, I, just, I just hear these things, and I say, I hear of wars, and I hear rumors of wars, and these things happen, but the end is not yet. 
There will be world conflicts. There will be pestilences and there will be famines. Matthew 24 verse 7 says, For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. There will be, uh, in Matthew 24, 7, there will be all kinds of earthquakes. Number four, there will be fearful sights and great signs. Luke 21, verse 11 says, And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs there uh, shall there be from heaven. Verse 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Uh, I don't know what kind of signs there will be in the sky. I mean, some people are out there watching and they're seeing UFO activity down in the Colorado area. And so there's a, there, there's a concession on the part of the American military that said, yes, we do have some UFOs, but that's exactly what they are. They're UFOs, unidentified flying objects. We don't know what they are. And so some people are saying, well, these must be spaceships. These must be Martians. These must be people from other planets and so on. So you got people, they see these sites and they're scared to death of them. This year in September, pardon me, last year in September, uh, there was the sign in the sky. It was called Virgo. I showed you some pictures of it in just these little clips that I show you once in a while. And, and Virgo had this thing about the planets moving in and this was going to be the beginning of Revelation chapter 12. Well, obviously it wasn't. And I didn't believe it would be and I told you so, but, but people get scared of these things and they start talking about them and there's fear. Well, what other signs that will be, we don't know what, what there will be, but what, one thing is certain that there will be activity in the atmosphere, there will be activity in the skies that are going to make people scared because of the activity. No doubt there will be a lot of demon activity. It's going to be good carry on all kinds of things that will not be entertaining to people. There will be an increase of heart failures. Why? Well, we read men's hearts failing them for fear. You can get a heart attack if you get scared enough. So if somebody comes and boosh you right real fast like that, you could get a heart attack if you get a weak heart, but it might take a little bit more than that for most people. But, but uh, men's hearts will fail them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. National revival of Israel will take place. Mark chapter 13 and verse 28 we read, Now learn a parable of the fig tree when her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. The, uh, the, uh, the foundation of uh, the re reformation of the nation of Israel, 1948. I keep confusing that in my mind with 1947, but that's when I was born. And there was no significance in that age. It's 1948, that's the big year. But I like it because it's only one year apart, so it's not that hard to remember. But in 1948, a nation was reborn that had not been for many, many centuries. They had ceased to exist for all intents and purposes from the time of the destruction of Jerusalem under Titus in 70 AD, the disintegration of the Sanhedrin, the uh, requirement for it just to cease and desist, and so that Israel was scattered, and basically you had jackals, and you had a few Arabs, and you had a few straggler Israelis, 
that were living in the land, but nothing of any significance was happening in the land. And then between the, the British, the Balfour Declaration, and the United Nations, they, uh, what was called, it's called United Nations now, it was a security of some sort before that, and they said, yes, we're going to give Israel back a land. We're going to give them territory. And so they gave them little spots of, of pieces of land of territory in 1948. And they occupied it, and they put the flag of David into that ground once again. That was the budding of the fig tree. There's no question in my mind that the fig tree has budded. It's, it's, it's come together. It's, it's in my lifetime. Uh, I was knee-eye to a grasshopper when that happened. I didn't know that was happening. Nobody asked me either. So it was one of those things that took place and, and uh, the nation was formed and what a development has happened since then. And that nation now again is such a hot spot in the news, especially since the US president said Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Come see, come saw. You, you and I sit here and say it's always been the capital since David's days. So. With no big surprise to us, no big revelation to us, but the world's up in arms about Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. This is so wrong. Well, no, it's not wrong. It's right. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do is to move the embassy over to Jerusalem too. I fully support that, and, and uh, not that it matters a lot, but the fact is that that is significant. A lot of significant things happening in that country, with that country surrounding it. There are tons of atheists in Israel today. The, uh, the Israelis, as a rule, do not believe. They, many of them believe in the Old Testament, the, uh, the Torah, the law of God. And you can see that in our own nation. Uh, uh, by the way, I, I explained to some of you about a Sabbath elevator uh, that I saw at the North York General Hospital some time ago. And, and my curious mind immediately went to investigate what a Sabbath elevator was. And uh, I, I found out what it was. Uh, it's an elevator that is, that is provided for Jewish people to ride up and down buildings on Saturday. Now that elevator runs through the week as well. But Saturday, it is made in a very unique way. And uh, when, I had, when we had our grand girls up at the North York Hospital at the Christmas time, I had a chance to sit them down right there. And I said, girls, do you know what a Sabbath elevator is? And uh, they said, no, Grandpa, we don't know what that is. I said, oh, good, then let me teach you what it is. Always look for an opportunity to teach people. So I had my grand girls stand there in front of that elevator, all kinds of people in the entranceway. They were standing at the door of your third. I said, well, whether they're Jewish or not, they probably don't even know what this is. So I'm going to explain it to you. I said to them, the Jewish elevator is made so that the Jewish people don't light any fires on Saturday. So what? They're not allowed to light fires on Saturday. So what happens when you go into an elevator, you push a button and when the motors connect, there's a little spark of fire. And in the Jewish mind, they're starting a fire by doing that. Uh, it's not going to burn. It's just going to be they start a fire. So the, the rabbis have outlawed. Can't push a button that causes a fire. Then you're contradicting the law of God. Wouldn't you love to be under the law? So what happens is that a Jewish person, Friday night, 6 o'clock, till Saturday, 6 o'clock, 
He goes into this elevator, and that elevator goes right to the top of the building, North York, I think that's eight or nine floors, and it goes right to the top of the building nonstop, and once it goes up there, then it stops there, people can get off and on, and it automatically comes to the seventh floor, get off and on, automatically comes down to the sixth floor, get off and on, automatically, all the way down. And so the Jewish person just goes in there, and whatever fire's lit, they didn't do it. So they're not guilty of breaking the law. Why do I say this? Just to let you know that they're still in darkness. I don't mind that they have those elevators, but it's just another picture of total darkness. They just don't have, they just don't have an understanding. But the day will come when Israel will in fact be regathered and Israel will repent and Israel will bow the knee to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and they will talk about him like you and I talk about him today. Because we have our teaching from people who were Jews. Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, the other disciples were Jews. We have our Bible information. We have our doctrines from Jewish people. So that the same thing that they said about him back then as believers, they will say about him in the time when this happens. And Israel will one day recover and they will be revived in that day to come. I can't talk to you tonight about Russia's battle against Israel. I preach an hour message on that. So as you know, I can't talk about it tonight. But there is coming a battle, and the result of that battle will be that there will be seven years of weapons burning following this battle, which tells me that that battle will take place at the beginning of the tribulation period. So if you see the Russians and five confederate nations nations that are sympathetic with Russia, Iran being one of them, uh, Ethiopia being another, uh, Libya being another, Togarma or Turkey becoming more and more inclined towards that, and another European nation. When you see this confederation of nations banding together and their purpose will be to come down and to battle against the little nation of Israel and God will take and wipe them away. This, this is the battle that will take place, no doubt, in my mind at least, no doubt, at the beginning of the tribulation period. Uh, there will be the rise of the anti-God dictator demanding allegiance of all, Daniel chapter 7, verse 24 through 26. We read, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until the time and times and the dividing of time. Three and a half. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. The Jews will be returning to Israel in large numbers. Isaiah 43, 5, fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. The Jewish people want to go back to Israel. Many scientists, many medical doctors, many professionals have given up their practice, lucrative practices, both in Canada and the U.S., and they say, we're going back to our homeland. We're going back to Israel. 
the day will come from the north and south, from the east and west, where people will just continually go back to the homeland, to the nation of Israel that Isaiah had already predicted. There's going to be the rise of the one-world-ism, Revelation chapter 13. The second part of Revelation chapter 13 talks about a false prophet that will lead the nations of false religion. And these false religions will bow to the Antichrist and give support to him. Remember, the purpose is peace. The purpose is not truth. The purpose is not righteousness. The purpose is peace. And so they will say, okay, Antichrist, you're going to bring peace? We'll support you. We'll give you all of the support that you need, only to find out that he's bogus and that he is against everything that is peaceful. So one-worldism. Do you, do you remember... George Bush's dad when he was the president for one term. Do you remember him? Uh, I will always remember him because of his hands. Uh, he would talk like this, always, just like a robot. And he would talk and his hands would always go like this. And he would say that there is a new world order and we want to bring a new world order. This is a Republican talking about the, the new world order is nothing but what one worldism is all about. No wonder that neither one of the Bushes voted for this president that they have, because he's not a one-world guy. He, he's anti-one-world guy. So somehow God has put him in there to put a little stop on what's happening in this world. But, 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 uh, but even the Bushes had this idea that we need to move towards globalism. Globalism is not a good thing. So I know that withdrawing from NAFTA could hurt us, but what the president is doing is he is actually establishing America as a nation rather than America as part of the world. Remember when Obama was president, people were talking about the president of the world. Well, this guy doesn't want to be the president of the world. He wants to be the president of the USA. And he's very protective. And certainly some of the things he does is not going to help other countries. It's going to help only the USA. So whether we think about it doesn't really matter. But he's not for globalization, so there is a little halt in this whole thing. But it was heading down like a mudslide, and it's kind of put a stop to it. So this one-worldism is going to rise. They'll probably get rid of him and carry on with their program. Then there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. Seven years, three and a half years, divide it right in half. Uh, first, the establishment of the tribulation time, lots of activity. Then the latter part will be the unfurling of the horrendous things that will happen. We read, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Daniel 9.27, and he shall confirm. That is, he shall say okay to this peace agreement with a covenant with many for one week. Did we see a whole lot of people on the video tonight? All kinds of people that signed this peace agreement and said that it would be a, a that that this will bring peace into the world. I don't know how significant it is, but we'll wait and see just for a while. For many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And uh, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So I want to talk to you next week, I guess not next week, but next time I'm preaching on a Sunday night, I want to talk to you about the final events that are going to take place, and then we'll take off into the description of the details in the book of the Revelation. So kind of an overlay and kind of an overview tonight, kind of an overview the next time, 
with a little bit of moving into the Revelation to help us to understand this magnificent book. Might I say to you tonight, if you're not saved, it would be a really good time to decide to be saved. It would be really, really important to know for sure that you're ready to meet the Lord because I'm not saying there's going to be any time when I say the next time I preach, I may not preach again. I don't know this. I, I do believe in the imminence of the return of Christ, which means I believe he comes at any moment, unannounced. We may not have that opportunity, but if we do, this is what we plan to do. So if you're not saved, come to the Lord tonight. If you're not serving God with your life, give it over to God. Let your life count in the time that we have. If you were encouraged by this episode, please rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this. To experience more audio recordings of our service or to find out how you can visit a live service, please visit openbible.ca. And again, thanks for taking time to listen to us today.